Hello, and welcome to the Bitcoin Butlers podcast. I am Mike Watkins, and with me, as always, is my good friend and business partner, Matt Burke. Hello. And each week, we try and bring you an intellectually honest discussion about news and events affecting Bitcoin. If you like our content, please like, subscribe, and share. So this week, we had a few really big things happen. The first was the White House Office of Science and Technology Policy, known as the OSTP, released a report on a Bitcoin and crypto regulatory framework. The first U.S. state is allowing Bitcoin for taxes, and the NASDAQ is getting into Bitcoin. But first, let's start with the White House report. Matt, can you explain what they released this week, please? Yeah, so um, in March, President Biden uh, issued an executive order asking for the various agencies within the executive branch to give a report on their uh, views and suggestions for a framework around crypto and Bitcoin regulation. Um, that report was released uh, last week, and it broke down um, some of the the main focus of this one, as you said, it was from the Office of Science and Technology Policy, was focused really on uh, the energy and climate impacts of the cryptocurrency industry and ways to uh, address those issues under regulation. So I'm, I'm not sure really where exactly to begin with this one but but based off of what you're saying is it your opinion that the bulk of this report had to do with energy use and emissions and climate change and things like that yeah that was the main focus of it and you know we can just kind of cut right to it which is the fact that this is a for a for the office of science policy there's not a whole lot of science in it um, mm -hmm. It's really just uh, largely an attack on proof of work mining. It is dismissive of some of the uh, incredible energy and uh, um, environmental impacts that Bitcoin can have that would be favorable in terms of the environment. Um, it cited sources that are not scientific, that are basically just uh, opinions it doesn't really um, do anything other than come to the conclusion that, you know, this administration wanted to come to. Now, there are a couple of bright spots. They do mention the idea that Bitcoin mining or proof of work mining could be used to uh, to use up stranded energy or flared otherwise flared methane. Mm -hmm. um, it, it addresses that a little bit about stabilizing the grid, but it does it in a way that's really pretty dismissive of the potential benefits of those types of things while really focusing on, on a lot of downsides that are really not accurate, thought out, or really based in fact. Mm -hmm. Well, this was my prediction before this came out. Uh, I think I may have mentioned to this to you last week or the week before that I was expecting them to use proof of work as a vector for attack against Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. And I think in some ways that's what we see here. But the part that I thought that was kind of more eye-opening on this, even though maybe that's not the right term for it, was just how poorly this was done. This, this wasn't a fact-finding mission where they tried to gather all the facts, put them together, and then use those facts to make the best possible decision for the benefit of the American people, for the benefit of the world in general. This was, this was like a, a, I don't know, maybe the best analogy is like a eighth grade science fair project done by someone like me who would have kind of faked their way through it. <laughs> right. I wasn't, I wasn't, uh, I wasn't super excited to have to do my science fair project, but I did them. And you kind of, I think do what a lot of people do is you, you kind of make the result fit your hypothesis. But this is not the first time we have seen this and we shouldn't be surprised to see this, that, um, 
that the government is acting this way because we see it with something really basic like food. So the food pyramid has been wrong for decades. I don't even know how how far it goes back to, to where it's been wrong. And I actually looked something up today that I thought was kind of funny and shows just some of the government incompetence, which was in February of 2014, February, March, 2014, they redid the FDA food pyramid. Michelle mm -hmm. Obama got involved and you think, okay, here's someone that realizes that the food pyramid is, a, is inaccurate. The food pyramid is essentially upside down. That's how bad it is. It's reversed. And so in February, March of 2014, she comes out with this new program and it's really just the same food pyramid, but it's in the shape of a plate. Right. And one of the things to give you an idea of how bad this guidance is, is that the guidance for an adult, both male and female, is to drink 24 ounces of milk per day. That's right. Most children, most growing children don't drink that, but, but an adult drinking 24 ounces of milk a day every day would not find their health improving. They would find that after about six months, they're probably 10 pounds heavier than they are right now. And they're not feeling very good. And then the part that I thought was really particularly interesting was that in October of that same year, so seven, eight months later, South Park did an episode on the food pyramid. Yeah. And South Park called them out for having the food pyramid upside down. So let's think about this for a second. You've got Michelle Obama. She's a very smart, very, very smart woman. She's highly educated. She's married to the president of the United States, a very, very smart guy. They have, they have every resource uh, that you could imagine at their fingertips. And they're going in to fix this thing that affects almost everyone's life. Like what you eat, it affects everybody. It's not like the percentage of people that watch movies, the percentage of people that are in video games, everybody eats. And they got it. They took something that was broken and wrong and just continued to keep it broken and wrong. And then a bunch of guys who draw a cartoon that makes fun of things got it right. Yeah. And this was 2014. So, so we still have that same bad food pyramid today. So when we look at the government trying to decode Bitcoin, which is really complex. Um, it's not surprising they got it completely wrong. And I'm not surprised that the, the, the food thing from the FDA was so wrong over all this time because look at how they go about making decisions and analyzing data. Right. And to, you know, to further that analogy, this report, it's, it's basically the equivalent, you know, if you use the, the food pyramid or the, the my plate as a, as a mm -hmm. corollary, it's like they asked the dairy farmers, how much milk everybody should be drinking. Yeah. And it's exactly what happened here. They, they, right. they found a couple of people that hate Bitcoin who aren't, they're not, they're not researchers they're not or, or data analysts or scientists or people who are experts in this field. One of the people that was cited the most is just a blogger. He works for, I think he works in the Netherlands or for some company like that. Yeah, you're referring so, to uh, Alex, Alex DeVries, I believe is his name. Right. right. Who, who's a known Bitcoin hater. Yeah. And he, he's, all he does is track, uh, you know, how much energy is Bitcoin wasting and he breaks it down on a per transaction basis, which is just the absolute most meaningless way to, you know, talk about how much energy bitcoin is actually consuming i don't even know that you could argue that it's wasting any any energy at all um, i would argue that it's not but even if you even if there is a better way than using electricity to uh to mine bitcoin which there clearly isn't in my mind um you've got somebody who is just kind of hell-bent on proving that the only thing that Bitcoin does is destroy the environment. And that's who they relied on. And it's not like any of his uh, writings or opinions are, like you said, scientific or peer reviewed or published in, uh, in science literature. That's actually meaningful. It's just basically, like you said, blog posts. Yeah. He's a blogger who works for the Dutch central bank, Yeah, but, but he puts the stuff out in his, his personal time. And so it's, 
it, it's not a surprise that they did this. And and what's really sad is that Bitcoin is there to help with energy. If Bitcoin is implemented, it would <laughs> if Bitcoin is implemented, it would lower energy costs for almost everyone on the planet. And it would make the power companies more profitable mm -hmm. and it would stabilize the energy grid. And on top of that, if you look at Bitcoin compared to other industries, the actual level of sustainable energy being used to power it is, you know, it's estimated to be over 50%, maybe more like 60% um, sustainable energy. And there's no other industry that's using that much sustainable or renewable energy mm -hmm. and it lets it lets uh places um mine the stranded energy right where where they normally would not be able to have some kind of hydroelectric energy or some other or they're, they're using volcano energy in in el salvador but but it's it's finding the stranded energy where they really it's it's not economically feasible to use it and to get it out to the people, Bitcoin makes it economically feasible. And I think we should go into how does Bitcoin make it economically feasible and why should the power companies all be mining Bitcoin? And uh, the reason is, is that if you are running a power plant, you can't control the output of the plant like you would control the volume on your television. You can't just turn a knob up or down. Right. You have to build it around peak capacity. Exactly. Or peak demand. Peak so, demand. So if you are running at a baseline that is lower than your peak, which obviously your average is going to be lower than your peak, and all of a sudden demand increases. Um, let's say you have a you know a heat wave and you have to you have to cool your house more because it's hotter out. Um, now the demand goes up. So now you have to be able to generate more energy. Well, with Bitcoin mining, if you're able to sell the difference between your average and your peak to a Bitcoin miner at a low price, uh, they can take that energy off your hands constantly. And then, you know, the, what the smart miners are doing and the smart power companies, um, they're great examples of this all over, especially in Texas, where these miners have agreements with the power companies that say, okay, if, if, if demand increases, you let us know and we'll turn off our machines until mm. the demand goes down. And what that allows everybody to do, it's really a, an incredible kind of symbiotic relationship that you can create there because now you've got Bitcoin miners that are taking energy out of the grid at a lower price, um, but still more than what the energy company would be getting for it mm. otherwise. And then at the point when that demand goes up, they shut down and the energy company can sell that energy for more money. And the Bitcoin miners don't want to buy it at the higher price because they're not profitable if the price goes up. Exactly. So, so the U.S. government had an opportunity here and we see energy prices spiking in Europe and other parts of the world. And we, we're, we're seeing energy prices go up here too. Uh, so they had an opportunity to, I'll say, regulate something that could really, really help the energy grid. And that should really be the headline of this report is, hey, we looked into it, and guess what? We can do something that's going to really help the people of this country. We can do something that's going to lower energy costs for the people of this country. We can do something that's going to stabilize the energy grid and incentivize renewables and clean energy, right? And what they're going to do, I don't know what they're going to do with this. I, 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 have, I don't know what you think they're going to do with this, but uh, I would say never trust the government. You know, if, if you're expecting the government to make a thoughtful, good decision um, on, on this, you're going to be sorely mistaken because it doesn't look like that's coming. And and uh, Matt, I'd also love for you, if you don't mind, to put up uh, the slide that shows when people talk about Bitcoin usage, just how small is it compared to other things? Yeah. 
So this is a slide that shows um, the carbon emissions of Bitcoin compared to other other industries. Um, you can see Bitcoin at the left there. Um, this is in uh, metric tons of carbon dioxide. Um, and the estimate here is that, um, and this is from 2021, data pulled in January of 2022. So Bitcoin emits 41 metric tons of carbon dioxide. That's on the left. That's the lowest number on this chart. Um, as we go to the right, you've got the gold industry at three times that amount, 122 and a half. Um, the global bank banking system, 130 metric tons. The aviation industry is the uh, the peak on the chart at, at almost 2,000 metric tons of, of CO2. Mm -hmm. um, the marine transport sector, so, you know, ships um, on the ocean using, uh, putting out 1,500 uh, metric tons, you know, which is. Uh, 36, just, 37 times. Yeah. Bitcoin. Yeah. yeah. Um, air conditioners and electric fans uh, at 1,000. So, you know, 25 times that of Bitcoin. Data centers, just data centers, 100 metric tons of carbon dioxide mm -hmm. and then you know tumble dryers in your home 53 metric tons so you know the argument to be made here is that you know maybe we should also think about getting rid of dryers and air conditioners uh it <laughs> well if we got rid of dryers and air conditioners it would be 20 it would be, we would be removing 25 times more co2 than if we just got rid of bitcoin Absolutely. It's, uh, and so the idea that, that Bitcoin is the problem here, um, is really just a, you know, and, and this isn't a political statement. It's just that there's, there's obviously a, uh, a, a push within this administration to kind of demonize it. I think that they're so, uh, focused on the idea of, of, climate change and there being a climate crisis and doing all of these things to, to try to mitigate that, which in and of itself is arguably just completely foolish. Um, the fact that you could, you know, that you think you're going to be able to control mother nature is just a, uh, unbelievably arrogant and, and hubristic endeavor. So I think that, um, they went, they got to the conclusion that they wanted by only talking to the people that would give them the answers they want. It's, you know, a tremendous level of confirmation bias that we're seeing in this report. Mm -hmm. And it's amazing how weak the arguments in, I'm going to call it their favor, because I, I mean, your position on this is that the government had an agenda. They had a position they want to get to, and they found a way for this report to get there while throwing out enough things that talked about the positives to make it look like they, they factored that in there. Is that your position? Yeah. I think, um, I think that they, they kind of slip those things in there so that, you know, people who actually know what they're talking about in, when it comes to this subject, um, couldn't say it's a hundred percent false and wrong. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, now we can only say it's, uh, 95% wrong. Right. And you could, you could picture that in like a hearing somewhere and later, and, you know, someone asked them, did you consider this? And yeah, we considered it. it was in our report, you know, it's on page six. We talked about it, but when we evaluated everything, we realized that, that Bitcoin is poisonous and toxic and it will bring about the end of the world and humans will not be able to live on this planet. Yeah. Right? And one of, one of the things that, that was, uh, I don't even want to call it clever because it's just so sinister. That's what they did. Yeah. Um, they, they kind of they put they put it into a uh, into a heads I win tails you lose type of situation mm -hmm. when it comes to the environment. They said, um, "Well, you know, it might be able to to uh, stabilize the energy grid or or get rid of uh, flared natural gas, but you know those things need to go away anyway. So you know, even if it could do that, we don't want those uh, those energy sources being used at all. So who cares?" Yeah, well, uh, I don't. I, we're, we don't, we we do not want to be political in any way on this show. But I think that there's a very interesting showdown coming potentially this winter with Europe and Europe's uh, attempt to remove themselves from fossil fuels, and all that stuff is fine. It's all well and good, 
but you can't remove something if you don't have a backup for it. Sure. Right. You can't take away energy unless you have something to replace it with the, the move towards, uh, you know, just, I think it'd be great if everyone's roof was made of shingles that were solar panels. This is something that uh, Elon Musk is working on mm-hmm. uh, as part of the Solar City project and these these um, solar roof shingles are like almost indestructible, last forever, and that'd be amazing for everyone's house to to have their own electricity coming in, harnessing the power of the sun, clean. I think that is a future that I am very much on board with. Sure. But, but if that's only going to be ready in 15, 20, 25, 30, 40 years, I don't know. You can't just say, well, we're going to change things in two years and just figure out a way to bridge that gap of the energy. It's just not going to work. Well, yeah. Look at what just happened in California with, um, you know, the, with the energy demand that's, that they're having and they came out. So first California passes a law that says they're going to get rid of all new gas cars by the year 2030, which is, you know, eight years from now. Um, And then at the same time, they're telling people that, uh, you know, try to avoid charging your electric vehicle because we need the energy for, you know, people's air conditionings because it's 120 degrees outside. And so, you know, there, that doesn't really bode well for what's going to happen in 2030 when, you know, you, when the number of electric vehicles on the road uh, goes up exponentially, how are you going to support that? And then on top of it, you know, nobody talks about the fact that the, uh, that the energy that is being provided to charge these vehicles is mostly powered by fossil fuels or coal or, you know, or that in order to uh, to create all of these new electric vehicles, you're going to have to create so many more new lithium mines and basically, you know, rape the earth in order to uh, to give everybody uh, an electric vehicle. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you the pictures. If if people have not seen a picture of a lithium mine, look it up. But as someone that loves nature and loves to be out in nature, when I look at a picture of a lithium mine, it makes me very sad. It's quite tragic. Yeah. Not to mention what it does to the water supplies nearby mm-hmm. and the, and the actual people who are involved in, in those operations. It's just, it's, it's insane. Uh, okay. So we, we kind of, I think we're on the same page. This report is kind of a, a joke, right? It's not a serious thing. It, it, it has an objective. We understand what that objective is. We know what direction they're going in. We know this is not sort of a, a an honest, um, investigation or honest research into what this can do. So my question for you is, so what are they going to do with this? Well, there was a kind of a follow-up thing and, and I don't, there was a, um, a separate framework that came up that was kind of like a department by department, um, overview of kind of how regulators might approach these things from the different areas. So, you know, it talks about, uh, and, and that report is even, you know, less useful if that's possible. Mm -hmm. Um, meaning that it's, it's that all of it is done through, you know, this lens of, of climate change and equity and all of these things that really have very little to do with the subject matter that they're trying to regulate. So um, we can put a link to that fact sheet in our, uh, in, in the video, but um, it's, um, it's just really to me a half baked attempt to try to put a stake in the ground to say, okay, here's something we don't like. We, we like it for these reasons, not, and, and not really uh, giving any, data or scientific proof as to why anything they're saying is bad is actually bad. But, but my question is, where do they go from here? Are they going to, I mean, that's what I was saying with the fact sheet. It talks about how each, each uh, department should approach this, uh, this subject. So it talks about, you know, the SEC and the FTC and the, uh, you know, 
I can read a few things here from, from that, but you know, the first section is protecting consumers and investors and businesses. So they encourage regulators like the SEC and the CFTC to aggressively pursue investigations and enforcement actions against unlawful practices in the digital asset space. So like, that's just one example, but it's basically setting up like here, are all the rules that you could possibly make to regulate cryptocurrency. I understand. And the reason I'm asking this question is something we're going to talk about a bit is where we, we move through this, which is that, okay, does that mean they're going to ban Bitcoin? That's happened before. China banned Bitcoin, and we're going to talk about what's happened since then. Um, you know, if you think that Bitcoin is is emitting all of this uh, CO2 in the environment. It's bad for the environment. And we're, we're trying to, uh, we're trying to be better about this. And so we just can't have this. Okay. So you don't have that many options. You can either say we are going to ban proof of work mining in the United States. And we saw China ban China had over 50% of the hash rate. They banned Bitcoin mining in their country. And the Bitcoin network didn't miss a beat. And actually, the Bitcoin network right now is at an all-time high hash rate. Yeah, so, the hash rate's as high as it's ever been. And so, right. I, you know, I think that this report does um, allude to the idea that maybe a ban on on mining is is the way to go. It doesn't really go all the way um, to to come to that conclusion. I, I think that's part of the issue with it is that it doesn't really say here's what we should do. It just says here are a bunch of things that we think are bad um, and we need to think about what to do. So I really don't know what they're going to do with it. Um, I think that um, you're going to, you're going to see the various agencies come up with proposed rules to do different things to regulate it. And you know, until that those start coming out, I really, I really don't know. It's, uh, I don't expect it to be favorable. That's all I can say. I don't. But I also think here, here's one one thing that I'll say is that I also think that my sense is that most of the government right now kind of recognizes that there's no putting this genie back in the bottle. It's a mm -hmm. little bit too late. Mm -hmm. um, if they really had any chance of banning it, then it would have had to happen. You know, probably before 2013 or something like that. Like, I think it's been many years since they could effectively truly ban Bitcoin or, or any crypto for that matter. I think that, um, that a lot of the things that you're seeing, and especially when you see these heavily regulated institutions, uh, kind of, you know, some of them aren't even tiptoeing into it. Some of them are diving head first mm -hmm. into it. Mm -hmm. And so when you see that happening, they're not doing that in a vacuum. They've got a sense of if this is going to be acceptable under, you know, a, a feasible regulatory framework, or they're doing it knowing that there's going to be a big battle and they think that they have a good chance of winning that battle. So I don't think you would see, you know, Fidelity and, and Schwab, uh, jumping into this to to set up their own exchange if they thought that the administration or the government was not going to allow it to happen under any circumstances. So I think that 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 is a, you know, that's a, maybe an optimistic take um, or a bullish take. But I also think that everybody recognizes that this is a, you know, a trillion dollar asset class that's not going anywhere. Mm hmm. Yeah, I, I, I agree. And I, I've just been thinking about some of these things recently because I kind of knew this was going to, I was predicting this was going to come and I was thinking it through. And and I, I think there's a problem with Bitcoin that a lot of the regulators have, which is this is an animal that they've never had to deal with before. And what I mean by that is that it's something that was invented with the specific purpose in mind to not be shut down by adversarial governments, right? Mm -hmm. So just the way it's set up, we don't need to get into all, all the details on that, but if the U S outlaws Bitcoin, I mean, it, it, it would be temporary. It wouldn't be a permanent 
ban on it because it's still existing in other places. And so where China, who's who's much more oppressive than the U.S., is not even close, they tried to ban it. And they've banned it a bunch of times, banned a bunch of times. And and on top of that, we have a story coming up where China's like the 10th biggest country in the world for Bitcoin right now. So Mm -hmm. it's something the government, they have ways, we've talked about this before, they have ways of getting the, the, um, the employees of the company, the CEO, board of directors to twist people's arms, to, to try and strong arm people, manipulate them, whatever you want to say. And for Bitcoin, you have this computer program that's designed to run in a decentralized manner where there are no data centers or anything like that. And you just can't stop it. It's, it's, uh, we heard something, uh, about a year and a half ago, uh, from a mutual friend who said that Bitcoin is going to put down a new block every 10 minutes. And there's nothing you or anybody else can do to stop it. And, it's just going to keep marching. And yep. then we're going to see a situation a year and a half from now where the stock to flow ratio of Bitcoin is double that of gold, which makes it like, you know, by a factor of two, the most scarce resource on the planet. And it has the luxury of being able to be transferred through space, um, which gold has a, a hard time dealing with you know it's very difficult to transport gold very very easy to to transport bitcoin or to send gold send bitcoin and so i don't i think they're just going to do nothing with this is my prediction i think they're going to have a bunch of stuff and waste a bunch of people's time and put a lot of saber rattling right it's gonna exactly put a lot of work into it put a lot of effort into it they'll have some talking points here or there but at the end of the day we also know because we we've talked about this before that uh, the crypto lobby, is it the second biggest next to Wall Street? It's Yeah, it's, okay. it's huge. Okay, so it's the and second. It's quickly growing. Quickly growing, right. But the biggest is Wall Street, right? Yes. Now, what are we seeing with Wall Street? In fact, one of our stories tonight, we're seeing the NASDAQ story. So mm-hmm. what we're seeing last week was uh, Charles Schwab and Fidelity and a number of other financial titans joining together for the first time ever to create a Bitcoin exchange and Bitcoin and crypto services, right? So they're going, they're, they're going in pretty heavy to try and compete with Coinbase and FTX and Binance, et cetera, right? Mm-hmm. To be a big player in that. So we see these really big players. And then this week, we're going to see another story with that. So you've got a lot. I know BlackRock is getting involved too with, mm-hmm. I forgot who, but they're, they're getting involved. Uh, Warren Buffett is involved with Bitcoin in Brazil. So there are there are a lot of really, really uh and he hates Bitcoin. Yeah. But <laughs> but but the point is there's a lot of really, really big institutional money yeah. coming into Bitcoin. And that money that's there is going to lobby on behalf of of their interests. And if if they spent $200 million setting up an exchange with the intent of making, you know, X amount per year. I mean, you know, they, they're not doing this for, uh, for altruistic purposes. Yeah. Right. And then all of a sudden you come along like, okay, we're just going to take that. They're not going to take that lying down. And we also saw with the crypto bill, it wasn't the crypto bill. I forgot what bill it was, it was the infrastructure bill. There was like two paragraphs that the crypto community didn't like, and it held up the whole it bill. Came, yeah. Yeah. So we're going to see that stuff changing and we're going to see politicians um, around the world having a, a, a different stance on this. I don't. What is Joe Biden? 81 years old. I mean, he's not even there. So um, I, I'm not surprised to see this administration be hostile to it. And I and they took the tack that I think they're going to take. But I think as we get through some of the other stories that we have tonight, it'll give us a different perspective on it. But my final position on this is. I think they're just going to sit around and do nothing for a good while. They're certainly not going, which is fine. The bad news is they're not really what I would consider like giving it a, a, a really positive blessing. And if, if, if they came out and said, look, Bitcoin is good for humanity. 
It's good for so many people around the planet who are unbanked. It's good for, um, you know, dealing with energy, lowering energy prices, stabilizing the energy grid, et cetera. That would be amazing. And that would be factually accurate. And it would be probably a very intelligent thing to do, but that's not going to happen. And so they'll probably do what they kind of do a lot in politics, which is a lot of stalemate. Right. And I think a lot of that is that what part of what's happening behind the scenes, I think that there may be some people that, you know, in the government that do understand it and they're terrified of it. Well, they should be. Right. right. I mean, because... that's although I, I think that, well, I don't know if they should be terrified of it. it it's I, I think there's a really nice way to coexist with it. No, I agree with that. I think that um, that there's a lot of people who view it as. And, and look, there is a, a train of thought that says that Bitcoin should replace fiat currency, that it should replace it, not coexist with it. And I think there are a lot of people that feel strongly about that. Personally, I land somewhere in the middle where I, I think that it I think it could replace it. I think it's a better alternative, but I'm also a realist in the sense that that's going to be very difficult to accomplish in a short period of time. Now, as, as our, you know, national debt grows, as the economy goes the way it's going right now, you know, maybe those things happen faster, but, but I think that part of what you're seeing is that, it's more, you know, the government is very, very good at kicking the can on any topic. They are right. able to create enough uncertainty around things that that's to stop people from gravitating towards it. So it's not so much that they want people to hate it or they want people to love it. They just want people to kind of say, well, I don't know about this, so I'm not going to mess with it. And that allows them to do other things in the background or kind of see how things play out or work on a CBDC, whatever they're going to do. Um, it just is essentially a, a, a tactic to buy time. Exactly. Exactly. All right. Well, uh, with that, you want to talk about the last country that tried to ban Bitcoin? China? Yeah. Yeah. All right. So um, there's a chain analysis report that came out. Um, they do a global cryptocurrency adoption index, which I think is a pretty interesting um, uh, index, the way that they approach it. Um, but the kind of one of the key takeaways from this is that China is now among the top 10 countries uh, using Bitcoin despite the ban. Um, so in, uh, I think last year after, after the mining ban, it, it dropped, um, significantly and now it's back in the top 10, um, you know, even with, with the ban in place, um, this, uh, this was a pretty interesting report. And what I think is, um, pretty neat about the way they do it is that they, they look at, at different ways that people in different countries are using cryptocurrency, um, but they're also taking into account how impactful that is in the context of their economy. So in other words, if you live in a country where people are using Bitcoin on a, on a moderate level, but that country has, say, a lower rate of people with internet access or lower purchasing power parity, meaning that, they're, that they don't... Um, it's harder for them to, to, uh, to acquire goods and services because, because of the way that their economy works. Um, it kind of adjusts for that so that you have, you could have a country that's relatively small, but is really a, a heavy adopter of, of crypto because they're using it at a relatively high rate and for relatively, um, significant things. So um, the the top twenty countries in this list are are uh, I have them up here. Although I, I think if you're watching, it may be kind of small. But the top five countries um, adjusted uh, with this index are in this order: Vietnam, Philippines, Ukraine, India, and the U.S. Um, and out of the twenty countries on this list, uh, only two of them are considered developed. It's the U.S. and the U.K. Um, are considered like the high income countries and 
you know, the U S is the only one in the top five of those. Um, India, I thought was really interesting because there there's, uh, I believe there's four different, um, criteria that they're looking at. It's kind of four different indices that then get combined together to come up with the overall ranking. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it has to do with who's using crypto to, to, uh, complete retail transactions, who is buying it on exchanges, who is using it for um, on like peer-to-peer exchange, just exchanging it between individuals, and and then who is uh, using it for like decentralized finance type of uh, value. And and India is first in, in three out of the four. Um, they When it comes to P2P exchange, um, they're 82nd in the world. So that drop them down to number four overall, but, um, in three of the four categories there, the India is kind of the largest adopter of crypto in the world. Um, Vietnam, I think has been in the top for a while now, um, at least the past few years. And I think it said something like, um, 30% of people in Vietnam own or use crypto. Yeah, this is, uh, it's a fascinating, really fascinating report here. I I kind of view the numbers a little bit differently than their list because they came up with their way to rank the countries. And I know Vietnam has the number one ranking. But when I look into the numbers, there, there are really only two things I'm looking at here, which is what they call their centralized service value received ranking and they also have something called their retail centralized service value received ranking but for every country those things are essentially the same and for the sake of this we'll just talk about it's it's essentially what they're buying on exchanges mm-hmm. relative to the per capita income of that country so the higher right. the number the the uh, the higher the ranking the higher the percentage of their uh, not their net worth, but their yearly income. Their per capita. Their per capita, yeah. right. So, so number one in that is India. Really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, I would not have guessed that. Yeah, and the reason that you don't see India in some of these others, there's there are India is heavily taxed with crypto. Um, they tax unrealized gains when you buy it and sell it. There's a, there's a tax taken out at that time, so it's. So that's, I think, part of the reason you see those exchange trade numbers as, as being lower, but you see that there people are using it, people who own it are using it for uh, for buying and selling things. Right. So India is, I, I think that based on this metric, to me, India is number one, not Vietnam. Vietnam does really well in the P2P exchange but it's number five in those the the centralized service and retail central. And I was wrong. It's twenty. It's twenty one percent of Vietnamese consumers use or own cryptocurrency, and uh, Nigeria is the top there with thirty two percent owning or using mm. it. And they're eighteenth on this list as far as um, centralized service ranking. But yeah. getting back to the other thing, so India number one, U.S. number three. All right, that makes sense. What's mm-hmm. number two? China. Mm-hmm. So wait a second. This country is like one of the most controlled countries in the world, right? And somehow, and and Bitcoin was kicked out of there, and somehow they're number two on what their citizens are are, are buying on exchanges and what their citizens are doing to spend it on items. That's that is really kind of mind-blowing and then if we we go back to that other story of like what's the u.s gonna do well these countries if they think that that cryptocurrency is not going to be part of their future like we're china and we're just not going to participate in cryptocurrency we're the united states we're just not going to participate in that's laughable you can say that all you want you can try and implement things but you're dealing with with something that you probably cannot stop. Now, some of the other crypto stuff and how they tax it, and regulate it, what they're going to do with it, that's going to keep evolving over time. But but I think that the the idea 
that China is number two and people buying from exchanges and using it to, to buy their items. Mm -hmm. How many bar bets would be lost on that? Right. You've got all yeah. these Bitcoin people. Wait, the they banned it. What do you mean? Yeah. They banned it. Yeah. yeah so it, it's really quite stunning. And when you see that and you see what's going on here in these other countries and you, you get to these U S regulators, you kind of get the place where it's like, what do you want your standing in the world to be? I mean, the U.S. was really a leader in the world when it came to the Internet and pioneering that. And we mm -hmm. were also a pioneer with the smartphone revolution, with um, the two operating systems for smartphones coming out of the U.S., that being iOS and Android OS. So with these with the the Internet coming around, the U.S. was a leader. And then the next big thing we saw, which would have been what, that's by eight, let's just say 10 years later or so, mm -hmm. uh, were the smartphones and the US were the leader in that. And so now let's just say it's another 10 years, even though we know it's been around, but now it's really kind of moving into the mainstream. Does the US want to be a leader in this? Are they planning on being a leader in this? We don't invent and we don't build that many other things. We need these kind of things um, for our country to stay um to keep up its global ranking in the world. And if not, you know, there's, there's always someone nipping at your heels and China is nipping at our heels right now. Sure. And, and clearly uh, even, and I don't know what the position is in their country, it, but, but people are adopting it there and they're adopting it ahead of people in the U S adopting it. Mm -hmm. um, I think uh, one other thing that I thought was really interesting about this report was that the, um, kind of the bear market that we've had didn't really have as big of an effect on adoption as you might think it would. Um, there was some decline in the level of adoption, but it's still, um, you know, higher than it was prior to the kind of 2020 bull market. So mm. I think that there, what you're seeing is that there's adoption happening somewhat independently of what the price of, of the assets are doing. For sure. For sure. Which is kind of amazing, but. But we've talked about that a lot is that, you know, the, the price is one data point. And um, what we can see is that regardless of what the price does, there's still growth happening in the space and there's still innovation happening in the space and infrastructure being built and innovation on basically every area, whether that's mining or the lightning network or uh, just countries embracing it or being able to, uh, you know, use it in certain jurisdictions. It's, uh, it's, it's pretty incredible to see that happening regardless of what the price is doing. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I was talking to someone in the Philippines today, actually, and I had seen this and I, I brought up to her that, you know, I saw the Philippines, they're doing a lot of stuff with Bitcoin and crypto. And she, she didn't know much about it. She just said, yes, a lot, but I don't own any. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, but she knew about it and it was, it's going on there. And I saw that there's like a place in the Philippines, like a hundred different stores that will accept Bitcoin there. So Philippines, very, very interesting. Ukraine, mm -hmm. also interesting. I, I, uh, I don't believe Russia is on that list. I don't know if the Ukraine adoption happened. Russia's number nine on the list. Oh, there, there. Okay. So, th so that's kind of in line with Ukraine, who's six. U Ukraine is number three. Yep. The reason they're up so high is because their their P two P exchange is more. But well, also keep in mind that that these are adjusted for the. Uh, per capita sure. purchasing power of the country. So that's why you see, um, if you look at this list, you know, there are a couple of countries, Nigeria is a good example. They, they don't rank higher than 17th in any one category, but they're number 11 on the list just because they're a poor country. So it's relatively more impactful for them to be using Bitcoin than, uh, you know, say the U S. Mm-hmm. Yeah, really, really interesting thing that's done. And, and more details are coming out for this. Uh, yeah, they're going to release a, f a more detailed report, which I'm looking yeah. forward to reading. Yeah, I signed up for that today. Good. Um, all right. Well, uh, our next story is one here in the U.S. Um, 
Colorado becomes the first U.S. state to accept Bitcoin as a payment for taxes. Um, I thought, you know, I have I have a few issues with this story just because it's uh, it's it is a first. This is uh, this is the first time we've heard of a U.S. state saying, if you want to pay your taxes to the state, then we will accept Bitcoin to do that. Um, what is maybe not quite as uh, encouraging as the way that they're doing it. Um, you can only do it using PayPal. You can only do it using a uh, personal PayPal account. Um, but um, but it is you know pretty pretty revolutionary to be able to say that you know I can pay my taxes with Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. And this as the White House is. I don't, I don't know what the White House is doing. This is the White House is coming up with their uh, their their crazy report. So, you know, I, I like to use the I like to use a seven year test for any news that we have. So we go back in time seven years and we say, all right, well, if someone told me this would be happening seven years from now, what would I think? So one, we can go back with the White House news and say, all right, well, seven years. So we go back to 2015. Seven years from now, the White House is going to drop all kinds of plans for Bitcoin. Like the White House is taking Bitcoin really, really seriously. They're getting every like agency they possibly can to give them a report on it, right? Like how many mm-hmm. agencies are involved in that? Even uh, the Office of Science and Technology, the OSTP, mm-hmm. who's ever heard of that right. before this? And uh, so, th- so every letter agency has now been like tasked with figuring out how Bitcoin is going to fit in their world. That's pretty big, regardless of what they choose to do with it. And then we have a U.S. state, Colorado, accepting Bitcoin as payment. And I understand this for taxes, and I understand you go through PayPal and all that kind of stuff. And they're also not holding the Bitcoin; they just want right. They're, they're not bring it to fiat. Exactly. So they're not going to hold it on their balance sheet. Although this was interesting. Um, the and and by the way, this is for um, you know income tax, uh, sales tax, withholding tax, basically any kind of tax that you would pay to the state um, falls under this category. And in, in order to do this, you're going to get charged a dollar transaction fee plus a 1.83% um, fee. And yeah. Which, you know, and I don't know if they charge to use a credit card, but I promise you if they do, it's more than 1.83% mm-hmm. to use a credit card. Maybe they don't charge, but I know um, I know some some state agencies will, you know, charge a handling fee type of thing mm-hmm. for, for paying with a credit card or a check by phone or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. So, um, so it, it is in a way that makes it, you know, maybe a little gimmicky that it's just a, another way to, to pay. Um, but it's also, uh, it is, it is a step. It's a drop in the bucket, like you say, where mm-hmm. now you've got a state that says, all right, well, we will accept this payment method. Um, whether or not it's, you know, the best decision to spend your Bitcoin on Colorado taxes is, is a different topic, but you know, it's, it's a move. Right. Well, I, I don't think it's there. I think that this was, this, this law wasn't put in place by like hardcore Bitcoiners that want to hold their Bitcoin <laughs> forever. This was just, uh, I think a state trying to get some attention. I think that the states are going to compete. You know, things have changed a lot over the past few years. And people can now work from, for a lot of jobs, people can work from anywhere. And the jobs which people can work from anywhere tend to be a lot of times higher paying jobs. Like Mm -hmm. computer developer can work from anywhere. I'm just number where they call it the laptop class right right so so these are people that have a higher income pay higher taxes states want to attract them states that couldn't compete in the past to attract these kind of workers like let's say you were let's take like boise idaho boise idaho wasn't developed was wasn't attracting a lot of computer engineers developers etc right they were living Mm -hmm. in silicon valley that's where you had to go in order to do that job yeah and they were they're very highly paid but now boise idaho can come along say hey we want you know why don't you come move here here are the benefits here's what our tax structure is here's you know here's what we're offering to people and 
and they want that that mobile laptop class to come in. I think the states are competing with that. And so I think that this isn't just a United States problem or not United States issue, meaning like states competing with each other. I think this is uh, countries also going to be competing with each other because mm -hmm. I know a number of developers, uh, Silicon Valley developers, decided to go down to Mexico. Like Mexico's complaining that too many people from the right. U.S. are Mexico are in City there now. is overrun yeah. now with uh, techie America. Right, right. So you know, people want to attract this. So I think it's typical of the other stories we see, where we see like you know, tag lawyers now you know, accepting Bitcoin. Where really all it is is you know, there's another payment rail. Uh, like BitPay, and this is this is no different of a story. This is just Colorado getting in the news and wanting to pretend like they're attracting that kind of. I call them the hipsters mm -hmm. for this, you know. <laughs> and uh, hey, hey, look what we're doing, and it's it's really no skin off their back. They just have implemented a payment rail. They don't care if you're paying with Bitcoin or Dogecoin. It's all going to get converted instantly. Right. But an idea I had was that. You know, if you're a state, you just want to get your your revenue. And, and every state deals with people that aren't paying, right? You have delinquent taxes, all kinds of things like that. Sure. And so this can be used as a tool to increase collections to some degree. What degree Colorado thinks they'll do it? I don't know. They could have just said, hey, listen, we can, we can be the first state and, and, and politicians can say, look how progressive we are and um and, it, and i don't think it's much more than that but but you also can't let you have to to go back to that seven-year test and say seven years from now colorado is going to accept bitcoin for taxes if someone told me that in 2015 I would have, I mean, yeah. I don't know who the person would have been that would have told me, but if they said, oh, I've got this crystal ball and I can truly look into the future and here you go, you can see it for yourself. Colorado is going to accept Bitcoin for taxes. You, you would say, wow, like that's, that, that's incredible. Like it, it's going to take over. Like it, it's going that far that a state would do it. So, you know, it, it, it's like most things. Is it a glass half full? Is it a glass half empty? They're, arguments we made for for both here but i think that every adoption counts every adoption matters and you never know what one adoption will lead to or how to lead to the next you certainly don't see a lot of adoptions leading to less adoption so we mm -hmm. just kind of see this thing building and building and um if you don't have anything else on the colorado thing i think we have a, a what i think is a really neat next story of talking about things building yeah so here is NASDAQ is launching institutional Bitcoin crypto custody services. So um, NASDAQ came out and has said that they are going to be um, offering institutions custody services. Uh, if they are dipping their toes into cryptocurrency, um, they're going to bring it um, into direct competition with, you know, companies like Coinbase uh, or any other custodial exchange mm -hmm. um and so yeah this is a uh this is a, a another move from a what i would call a financial titan um to get involved in in this space everybody wants their their we're seeing it from everybody now i mean it's like just just in a, a period of 14 days or less you're seeing schwab and Fidelity and Sequoia Capital and NASDAQ. And, and by the way, the NASDAQ um, is already involved in this in Brazil with the uh, Brazil's largest brokerage firm called XP, mm -hmm. where they have an exchange there is a story we did a few weeks ago. So <laughs> there are not going to be many financial titans left that are not involved in this industry by this time next year. Right. Yeah. That'll be interesting to see. Cause I know this is pending some sort of regulatory approval. If they get it, then, um, you know, that tells you, I think a lot about what we were talking about earlier that, you know, somebody like the NASDAQ is not going to announce that they're doing this. Number one, if they think that it's going to fail regulation, um, and they probably have some idea that if it's going to be approved, then that doesn't really, 
um, that's not really a, a pessimistic sign for for how how regulators are going to be approaching this. Yeah, I, I'm willing to bet this will be approved if it hasn't already sort of been approved sort of off the record. But, I, I mean, the NASDAQ getting involved in this is uh, is rather incredible and a moment to kind of kind of sit back for a second and kind of take a, a view from 30,000 feet and see like this thing is, it's certainly moving in a direction and keep in mind, you know, where we've said it before, we'll keep saying it. We really just try and be intellectually honest here, but we don't screen through stories that are negative. I know we've had in some of our other episodes, some, some mm -hmm. negative stories and, and certainly the, uh, the White House report is certainly not a positive. So we're, we're not trying to paint a rosy outlook. We're trying to analyze this both for ourselves and our listeners, and viewers. But what's really going on here? We're really trying to, to keep our finger on the pulse of that as best we can and to make sure that we're analyzing it as accurately and as honestly as possible using all available information. And when we're doing that, we're just seeing, you know, what is it? 90, 95% of the stories are positive. Mm -hmm. And even in areas where they're not that positive, because the China story was not a positive. I mean, there, there were things you could view into it that could be positive, meaning that the, the, um, the hash rate is going to move to the U.S. or other countries out mm -hmm. of a hostile country, and that's a positive. And people were mentioning that at the time. Um, but then, you know, we see... Uh, you know, I think China banned Bitcoin September of last year, if I'm not mistaken. It's about a year, year ago. That's about right, yeah. Yeah, and so now, and now they're, you know, by some metrics, they're tenth in the world. By other metrics, they're second in the world. Whatever it is, they didn't ban Bitcoin. I mean, they didn't get rid of Bitcoin. Right. They just they they couldn't. So, um, but getting back to the Nasdaq, it's just another positive story. Um. And, and that's what we're seeing. And, and like I said, we're not screening out the negative stories. And in, in fact, we'd probably highlight those because, you know, one negative story can have a pretty significant impact. Sure. Um, and there, and it's inter interesting to talk about, you know, what are the, the challenges that, that adoption is facing? Mm -hmm. Certainly. Certainly. I, I was stunned when I saw this, when I saw the, the news come out that NASDAQ was involved, I, I was I was pretty stunned when I dug in a little deeper. It wasn't quite as, uh, as impactful, but still nonetheless, you know, you, you attach a name like NASDAQ to Bitcoin and to the, uh, the cryptocurrency market, digital asset market. To me, that's a positive. Yeah, I agree. And, and it's also focused on institutions. That was another thought I had with this, like the institutions are coming. Oh yeah. It, you know, this, uh, we have a friend who said this is one of the first times you've ever been able to front run the institutions. Right. And when I first heard that, I thought that was, you know, like, wow, you know, individuals are really going to get ahead of the institutions here. And then you realize they're really not. <laughs> Meaning the Bitcoin price, in my opinion, is fairly easy to manipulate. Mm -hmm. And, uh, uh, you know, another friend told me, he's like, when you miss the boat, you miss the boat. When institutions miss the boat, they bring the boat back. Right. And so we would see this. It's almost like we're seeing the institutions gear up from this. And this is just, just a theory I have. This, this is not just an idea that the institutions are all gearing up for this. And you're not going to see like Goldman Sachs getting into Bitcoin at 60,000, which we thought was going to happen. Oh. Last November is at sixty something thousand. So and Goldman right. Sachs still hadn't jumped in fully. So you thought that you're really going to front run these institutions, and then you look a year later, and you won't see people that uh, Goldman Sachs and J.P. Morgan will not be embarrassed at the price they bought Bitcoin. No, and neither will these other institutions. So they're, to me, I just think they're loading up on this infrastructure, and then they're going to go very heavy. They're going to get in before their retail customers. And, uh, and then they'll push it mm -hmm. and make four or five, 10 X on their money. Right. Right. Yeah. Like you said, like we said last week, uh, in the announcement, 
Fidelity and Schwab talked about pent up demand. Mm-hmm. So that tells yeah. you a lot of what you need to know. Mm-hmm. Agreed. All right. Anything else? No. All right. Well, uh, I'll tell you where you can find us. Right. Uh, website, btcbutlers.com. Uh, you can email us there, uh, info at btcbutlers.com. Uh, Twitter is at btcbutlers. DMs are open. If you enjoyed this podcast, please like, subscribe, share, comment. Uh, we're welcome to take requests for topics to cover, answer questions. Um, and then Bitcoin Butlers is here for you to implement best practices as a Bitcoin owner, whether that's buying your Bitcoin, storing your Bitcoin, setting up an inheritance plan for your Bitcoin, running your own node. These are all things that we can help you do um, in the best possible way. And we would love to help you with that. Please reach out to us if uh, if that's something you're interested in. And uh, we appreciate you listening and see you next time. Thank you, Matt. Appreciate it.